This is The Guardian. Just before we start, a warning that this episode contains references to racial violence that some listeners may find confronting. Hi, this is Guardian Australia Reads. I'm Jane Lee. Every week, we ask Guardian Australia's editors what their favourite articles are, and then we read them aloud for you. Moves to return Australian sites to their Indigenous names have been welcomed. Not only does this revoke parts of Australia's racist past, but it opens the door to truth-telling and healing. Shelley Hepworth is Assistant News Editor at Guardian Australia. Shelley, can you tell me why you chose this story? I chose this article because I feel like this is a really important subject. I feel like in Australia, a lot of Anglo-Australians like myself sort of haven't been connected to the really rich history of the Australian continent and the Australian people that have been here for thousands and thousands of years. And this process of renaming sites with their traditional names, you know, gives a recognition of that history and also allows for people like me to sort of keep that in mind and, and feel connected to it. And also for Indigenous people to feel that recognition as well of, of this history that's been erased by these colonial naming practices that we've had since the advent of colonisation. Let's hear it. This is The Right Thing To Do, Restoring Aboriginal Place Names Key to Recognising Indigenous Histories by Calla Walquist. The first recorded name for the finger of land that sticks out at the entrance to Lake Macquarie, 100 kilometres north of Sydney, is Keep Clear Point, an instructive, if unimaginative, label marked on a map drawn in 1841. In the 1900s, it became known by another name, Coon Island, apparently for a resident named Herbert Greta Coon Heaney. Now it is being renamed again. In February, Lake Macquarie Council began a community consultation process to investigate alternative names. Among the options under consideration is to change the name to Galgaba, a name for the area used by the Awabakal people. Similar conversations are happening around Australia. In 2020, after global Black Lives Matter protests, Western Australia renamed the King Leopold Ranges named after the brutal colonial Belgian monarch, the Wunaman Milawindi Ranges, using both the Naranyan and Bunaba names for the area. But many Aboriginal communities argue that renaming landscapes should not be limited to removing overtly racist names. In Bundaberg in southeastern Queensland, there is a push to rename places where massacres of Aboriginal people took place. Melinda Holden from First Languages Australia says... A lot of those places are named after the protectors or inspectors of Aborigines. Holden is a Turibalang woman, one of the traditional owners of Bundaberg. Protector or inspector of Aborigines was the title given to people responsible for controlling and often removing Aboriginal people. She says, You have to expose the truth of a lot of the massacre sites, truth-telling and getting appropriate names for them. We have a few massacre sites here in Bundaberg that we're trying to work with the powers that be to get them renamed. There's still a lot of people that don't want to change the names. Holden says sites of frontier violence, such as Cedar Creek in Bundaberg and The Leap in Mackay, named for an Aboriginal woman who was driven over a cliff holding her child in her arms, should be renamed and have their histories properly contextualised. 
Other areas, such as Fraser Island or Gurry, should just be renamed in accordance with the wishes of local people, she says. There may be a period of transition, just as there was when Uluru was renamed from Ayers Rock in 1993, but in the end it's the right thing to do. She says, that's all we call Uluru now. Nobody gets hot under the collar anymore. The national park which spans most of Fraser Island was renamed Gari, the butchelor name, in 2017. We have always known this as Gari. Local people call it Gari. It should not be dual named. It should be named Gari Island, not Fraser Island, says Holden. Most Australian jurisdictions now have dual naming policies, which allow geographical features to be identified by both their traditional and colonial name. Dual naming is one way to teach the broader community the Aboriginal history of a place, Holton says. For communities that had language stripped from them through colonisation, it is a way to reclaim and preserve words which may otherwise have been lost. She says, We're confident enough now to make sure we hand it down. We know our culture, and we know it through and through. A lot of people down south here, on the eastern coast... We didn't have that exposure to our culture like up in the central desert in northern Australia. We were robbed of that. It was taken off us by the protectors. Now we're able to build on that and are a lot more confident about it. The introduction of native title laws in 1993 has aided the process to identify traditional place names in areas with fewer living language speakers. Researching the history of an area and its families, language and boundaries is part of the lengthy process to claim native title. It creates a map of who has authority to name what area. Holden says, All our tribes, we have our boundaries and we know our boundaries. Thanks to native title, we have all had to sit down and work it out. But in the areas most devastated by colonisation, native title has provided little assistance. There have been no successful native title applications in Tasmania. There is no formal system to declare who speaks for what country. And in the past five years, the debate over dual naming has become very messy. In 2016, the Liberal government introduced a new approach to Aboriginal eligibility, which replaced the nationally used three-part definition of Aboriginality, descent, self-identification and community recognition, with just one step, self-identification. Before that change, Aboriginal place names were put forward by the Tasmanian Aboriginal Centre, which has been representing the Tasmania Aboriginal community and conducting research on Tasmanian language and place names for more than 30 years. Annie Reynolds is the director of the TAC's language program, and she says... The remnants of language that were left were not enough to revive one single language from. So after months of discussions around the state and extensive consultations in 1993 and 1994, the community accepted that there would have to be, or that there could be, one language put together from all the original languages. The result of that research is Palawakani, a reconstructed language for Luchuita, Tasmania. It was pieced together from word lists left behind by European settlers following extensive community consultations. Place names in Palawakani are taken from the best available record of the local name for a place. Many were recorded by George Augustus Robinson, the protector of Aboriginals, who toured Tasmania in the 1830s as part of an effort to round up people who had survived the Black War. 
he recorded more than 4,500 Aboriginal words in his journals, and later made similar recordings in the Port Phillip area in Victoria. Some of the languages spoken in Port Phillip were later captured in audio recordings of older speakers, which allowed the Tasmanian language researchers to reverse-engineer the pronunciation of Tasmanian words and, using the International Phonetic Alphabet, develop a spelling system. In 2012, the Tasmanian government recognised 13 traditional place names in Palawakani put forward by the TAC, including Kunyani for Hobart's Mount Wellington. But the Liberal government changed the dual names policy in 2019, and in March approved 15 new dual names nominated by groups other than the TAC, including for Cape Grimm, the site of an 1828 massacre in which 30 Aboriginal people died, and for Suicide Bay. The TAC contests the new names and put forward the name Peelry for Cape Grimm, Tainiua for the cliff where the people were killed, and Lewuka for Suicide Bay. Earlier pushes to reintroduce Aboriginal names in the landscape of southeastern Australia were met with considerable resistance. In 1992, the Victorian government renamed the Grampians National Park as the Grampians Garryword National Park. But the decision was reversed after a change of government in 1992, and official use of Garryword was not reinstated until after the Dual Naming Act was introduced in 1998. Garryword the name in the local Jawajali and Jabarung languages, was first recorded by George Augustus Robinson. The area was named the Grampians by the Australian Surveyor-General Major Sir Thomas Mitchell in 1836. Mitchell had issued a directive in 1828 to surveyors to be particular in noting the native places of as many places as you can on your map, but failed in his own directive in southwestern Victoria because his travelling party killed seven Aboriginal people at a place he named Mount Dispersion, meaning that local people would not speak to him. Mitchell's directive to use Aboriginal place names where possible echoed the practices of most European surveyors in Australia from the 1780s onwards who transcribed, often incorrectly, local Aboriginal place names on maps used by settlers to carve up the land. Names such as Wollongong, Wagga Wagga, Toowoomba and Coolangatta are derived from the languages of the indigenous inhabitants. Ian Clark was the geographer tasked with identifying local Aboriginal place names in Garryword in the early 1990s. Clark says, There was significant opposition locally and across the state to the proposal. I think because the approach from traditional owners was not up front a willingness to accept dual naming, a lot of people were very uncomfortable with the erasure of non-indigenous names which they had formed a considerable degree of attachment to, and that process became more and more politicised as the debate went on. Had dual naming been put forward as a solution from the start, he says, the debate may not have become so heated, but some responses, he says, were quite ridiculous. One person was saying, well, what's going to be next? Are we going to change the name of the Dandenongs? But the Dandenongs already have an Indigenous name. Some other place names were not adopted because they were seen as a risk to local tourism. The name for Mackenzie's Falls is Mikanungwira, the place where the blackfish, Wirap, can go no higher. Mount Stapleton, named for Mitchell's second-in-command, was known as Gunigulk, or excrement stick. Clark says that was actually a wonderful insight into traditional practices, because in traditional times, Indigenous people were very concerned that their enemies never got access to any part of their human body, including their waist. So they deliberately, carefully buried their excreta. 
But the local tourism authorities just could not accept a place name that meant excrement stick. That was The Right Thing to Do, Restoring Aboriginal Place Names Key to Recognising Indigenous Histories by Calla Walquist. The reader was Colin Smith. To see photos and read the article, go to Guardian Australia's website. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Daniel Simo and Camilla Hannan. I'm Jane Lee. See you next time.